The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. Hey. Sorry, guys. I'm just a little depressed this morning. I've, I can't get my car to fly. I've, I've been trying all weekend. I mean, just... I've read books on how to make your car fly. I, I yelled at it and threatened it to try to get it to do what I wanted. I, I tried bribing it with a nice wash or some fancy headlights, just if it would just fly once for me. I, I told it about all the other well-behaved cars that I see on Facebook, and they fly whenever their owners want them to fly, and those owners aren't half the owners that I am, so I don't know what that's about. I even thought about maybe just pushing it off a cliff, but I feel like that would only get me temporary results. So I just... I don't know what to do, y'all. I can't, I can't get my car to fly, and I'm mad about it. We're going to be talking about inability and process <laughs> this morning when it comes to parenting. And as we try to think about us as parents, or we who have parents, which I think just covers everyone here, what does it mean when we reach our own limits and when we need to recognize that we can't do everything we think we can? We're going to try to walk through these themes with our friend Peter, and so we're going to be reading a number of passages about Peter. We'll start in Matthew 14, so feel free to open to Matthew 14. It'll, it'll be a minute before we get there, but I promise we will. Um, but as you open up, I just want to make sure we're on the same page, that these themes are important for every person here. Whether you have a house full of kids right now, you haven't had kids in the house for the past decade, or don't intend on having kids for the next decade— we all need to hear from God's word on this. So I, I'm, I'm going to seek today to try to apply these themes broadly. But the reason for this word is just I don't want anyone checking out because, oh, well, this is a parenting sermon and I'm not actively parenting right now. No, this is for all of us. So the main point I'm going to try to drive home today is that parents cannot change their children. But over time, God does. And we'll look at this by trying to consider the parent's role the child's problem, and the Lord's solution. Um, But let's join together in prayer before we dive in. God, what a joy it is to be gathered together as your people, to be able to sing your praises and already read from your word. God, as we focus now on what your word speaks to us about these themes, God, I ask that you would be very present, that you would move me aside and speak to every heart here and that we would leave here more like Jesus than when we got here. Well, we love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So first consideration, the parent's role. You see, the whole part of that foolish introduction uh, was just to show how ridiculous I, would, I was being to try to make a car fly. I, I, I can't, cannot make my car fly. It is impossible. Any attempt to do so is nothing more than an exercise in futility. 
And yet, how many of us actually think that we can change our children on our own? That we can take a living, breathing soul, mold it and shape it and make it precisely what we want it to be, inside and out. I I doubt anyone would put it that way, but but how many of us feel that temptation? That, that, oh, well, I can make them exactly like what I want to be. If I just discipline them more strictly, or, or if I can relate to them more accessibly, or if I just find the right balance between challenging them and coddling them, then it'll all work out. No. Let me start this section by saying what a parent's role is not. We'll get to what it is in a minute, but the parent's role is not to change your children on your own. Because you can't. God has not called you to that role. Scripture never puts that responsibility on you. And so I don't care what the best-selling book says or what the most popular blog says. It is not your role as a parent to try to change your children on your own. And if you take on that role, well, you are only asking for trouble. This happens anytime someone takes on a role that they are not supposed to. Do any of you remember back uh, in school when you had a teacher who said that she was going to give you a test at the end of the class, but time's kind of ticking down, and you're looking at each other, you're like, She's, she forgot, I think we're going to... But then that one kid, um, teacher, weren't you going to give us a test? No, that's not your role. Look what you've done to us. What about Toy Story, when Buzz Lightyear thinks that he really is a space ranger, not just a toy, and so he jumps off the stairs to his harm? Scripture even speaks to this at a number of places, um, this idea of taking on a role that you shouldn't. What about when Saul, King Saul, decided that he wanted to be priest for a day? It's in uh, 1 Samuel 13. Saul and the Israelites are fighting against the Philistines. They win a couple battles, and then they lose a couple more, so they flee and hide in the caves. Uh, The priest Samuel says, all right, I want you guys to wait a week and then I'll come. I'll offer a sacrifice. We'll rally the troops. Then we'll get back out there. But seven days go by and Saul's looking at his watch and I don't see Samuel. So I'm just going to do it. I'm going to offer the offering myself. Well, here's what first Samuel 13 10 says. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And so Samuel says to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom will not continue. Saul lost the kingdom because he assumed a role he was never meant to assume. I wonder what we might lose as parents if we think it's our role to change our kids on our own. Here's two things we might lose. One, your children will prioritize superficial external change over genuine internal change. That's what I'm trying to get at when I say it's not your role to change your kids. I'm talking about this genuine internal heart level change because anyone can produce external change. You change your schedule based on what your boss requires. You change your reading list based on what your professor assigns. I mean, goodness, you can, you can threaten, bribe, shame people, especially your children, into doing any number of things. The issue is that that change is, well, it's based on manipulation, and it's only superficial. It's external, and it's temporary. It doesn't last, and and what's more, pretty quickly, your, your kids will pick up on your tactics and begin to play into that manipulation themselves. You know, I could do my chores, but you know, if I if I wait, mom's going to give me something. She'll, she'll reward me, and so, so I'll just wait, and I'll do the chores then. 
or you know okay dad's coming home from work and he is mad so i'm just gonna turn off my game real quick make it look like i'm doing homework and just wait until he plops himself in front of the tv and then i'll get back to doing what i was really doing let's not settle for temporary superficial external change that comes from thinking it's your role to change your kids on your own second thing you'll lose is uh the freedom that god intends for you as parents and your kids as your your children thinking that it is up to you to change your children puts a massive burden on them and on you so reflect back to when you were growing up or, or to the students who are here think now about times where you have felt this burden from your parents how it felt like you had to perform to earn their approval, their acceptance, even their love. That if, if you messed up, that they took it as a personal affront to their work of molding and shaping you, and how no matter what, it never seemed like they were fully satisfied, because like the burden they've placed on you, they carry a burden themselves. Now, if that's not your story, we'll, we'll praise God. But if it is, or if you can at least imagine what it might like to be in that situation, why would you want to put yourself in that? Why would you add to the burden of parenting, add to the challenges that already exist? Why would you put that on top of it? It is not your role to change your children on your own. So let's read from Matthew 14 and look at what our role then is. Um, See how Peter connects to all this. We'll, We'll pick up in verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately he, that's Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain to pray by himself. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Makes sense. I too would be terrified if I saw someone walking on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. Um, But then, as he so often does, Peter opens his mouth. Here's verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. So now Jesus and Peter are walking on the water, but then things take a turn. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You see, Peter could not walk on the water on his own. That was not his role. The moment he took his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink. And the same goes for us, especially when it comes to changing our children. We cannot change them on our own. Instead, our role as parents is to be a willing tool of God who will change our children. So the role of the parent is to be a willing tool of God who will change your children. This means to submit ourselves to him so that whatever we do, we do it in accordance with his plan. He's calling the shots and we are executing them, not the other way around. So, So when we exercise authority, 
when we discipline, when we teach, when we lead our children, any of that, we don't do so as one on whom their change depends. If I don't get this exactly right, it's not going to work because it all lies on me. No, we do so, we parent as servants of the only one who can bring about this lasting heart level change. It's a bit like if you would imagine with me, you're trying to build a house, but the only tool you have is a hammer. And so if you are working under the leadership of a master architect, if you're doing what you're told, if you're following what your role is, I'm hammering, then the building will progress and the house will get built. But, but if you decide that you're going to build the house on your own, just me and my hammer, it's not going to go well. You're certainly going to do things you shouldn't. You're probably not going to do things that you should, and, and I'm not going to go visit you in that house. Parenting as God's tool means acknowledging you cannot do it all by yourself, that you need him to lead you and your kids. But I want to take a step back for a minute and and ask, okay, why all this talk of change? Why do kids need change in the the first place? Why is this the goal, change kids? Well, let's turn to our second point, the child's problem. In In a word, their problem is sin. That's why they need to change. So so let's unpack this problem. Uh, We could pick any number of examples from Peter's life, from him trying to rebuke Jesus and getting called Satan, uh, to when he was being a hypocrite in Antioch and Paul had to call him out on it in Galatians 2. Um, But I want to turn to Luke 22. So let's all all go to Luke 22 together. Uh, This is likely the, the, seems to be the most heartbreaking of all of Peter's displays of self-centeredness and sin. Now, now before we read, we're going to pick up in verse 54 of Luke 22, but before we do, remember, this is Peter. He's one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was there for the transfiguration. He was there for Jesus' teaching. He knew that whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. He had just told Jesus, even if all fall away on your account, I never will. But then we get to verse 54. Then they seized him, that's Jesus, and led him away bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord looked, or turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter knew what he should have done. He knew what the Lord had called him to. He said he wouldn't do it, but when the rubber met the road by that charcoal fire in the courtyard, he denied his Lord three times. Does that sound familiar at all to anyone? Because each and every one of our children are sinners through and through. And you can't change that. No amount of parenting can remove the stain of sin on their hearts. 
That's why settling for external change is so dangerous. Sure, you can get your oldest to stop hitting your youngest if you threaten them or if you bribe them with something, but that doesn't change their heart. That's merely treating the symptoms while leaving the source untouched. It'd be like putting a Band-Aid on a cancer spot. Sure, from the outside it looks better, but internally nothing's changed and it's only going to get worse. Our children's problem is sin. And there are two particular complications of this problem. The first is that your children are blind to their sin. You see, if someone's physically blind, they know it, you know it, we can work together, we can find a way forward. We, it's known. But spiritual blindness, as uh, Paul Tripp calls it in that parenting book, uh, it's not the case. They're blind to their blindness, to how deeply sin affects them. So that's why when your teenager breaks curfew for the who knows however many time, and you ask them, why? You don't get the response of, oh, well, because I'm sinful to my core. You see, I'm selfish, and I value my own pleasure over obedience to you. Um, But in light of your loving, godly parenting, please forgive me and join me in praying with God to ask for the same. This is not the response you get. You get deer in the headlights, like, why is this such a big deal? The reason for that is because they are unaware of just how sinful they really are. Which means a key part of parenting is not simply addressing, correcting, punishing sin. It's shining light on it. It's taking time to explain why what your child did was wrong. What sin they were committing and what makes that sin unacceptable. It's like when Jesus uh, and Peter had their encounter, we'll call it, in Mark 8. Jesus said that he was going to suffer many things, be killed, and then rise again. And Peter says, no way, Jesus, you're wrong. Which, just for the record, if that's your response to Jesus ever, you might want to check yourself. Not the best way to respond to the Lord. So then Jesus takes a breath and looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. So Jesus clearly calls out Peter's sin for what it was. But then he continues, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He explains it. He unpacks it. He helps Peter see what he was doing. So when someone sins against you, do you take time to lovingly and gently help them see what they're doing and the harm that it's causing? Or do you just go straight to discipline? Or perhaps you're more of one who just, okay, if you're going to sin against me, then I'm just going to cut you out of my life. Or whatever your response might be. Your children are blind to their sin problem. The second complication of that problem so are you you are just as sinful as your children sure you don't bite your sister anymore and and you don't whip remotes at your brother's face or at least i hope not but you're still just as self-centered as they are if anything more so because not only do you sin you hide your sin and pass it off as something else see they're not smart enough to do that yet at least generally speaking but you oh wait i'm not jealous i'm just concerned Oh, greedy? No, I'm not greedy. I just want the best. What's more, we, we too are prone to be blind to our sin as kids are to theirs. Maybe you can relate to this. Um, if, if your parents try to call you on something that you know is just as big, if not a bigger issue for them than it is for you. Oh, what's that, Dad? You want me to watch my tone? Okay. Oh, really, Mom? I need to be careful with what I do with my free time? Okay. Here's a a question for you to consider. What are some areas of your life that you might be blind to? 
think that's a helpful question to ask a spouse or a trusted friend because, again, if you're blind to it, it's hard for you to find that out. So what areas might this be a struggle for you in? Because, again, we are all, each of us, sinful. We are as sinful as our children. We're just not as cute. So here's two quick takeaways on this point. Your children will sin. I don't say that to excuse their sin, but I want to make sure that we are abundantly aware of this. Your sinful children will, in fact, sin. That's why they need to be changed by God, so they don't remain in that sin, or, Lord forbid, grow in it. That's why God has put you in their life to use you to change them as he sees fit. You know, Even if your children have professed faith in Jesus, if they've given their lives to him, praise God for that, but that doesn't instantly remove every trace of sin. Sure, for, for all who are in Christ, the power of sin is broken, but the presence of sin does remain and will remain until we die. By God's grace, it will progressively be lessened as we become more and more like Jesus, but, but just as surely as you and I will sin, so too will our kids. One other takeaway, um, you may very well owe your parents an apology. I don't pretend to know what sort of parents you've had or, or have uh, in the house. I'm certain they weren't perfect, but neither were you. And so as we continue over these next few weeks through this parenting series, reflect back on your parents. Consider how they prepared you to be a parent yourself, where they fe- fell short, and how much of a handful you were for them. And if by God's grace they're still around, call them up. Thank them for putting up with your sin over all these years. The problem is sin. Thankfully, both for us and our kids, God has the solution. So let's look at point number three, the Lord's solution. Uh, We'll go to John 21 for our passage here. Uh, Jesus has been killed, uh, but he's been raised to life on the third day. He has already appeared to his disciples. He's got one last lesson for Peter, who uh, at this moment, along with a few other disciples, is fishing. Uh, Jesus asks from the shore if they've caught any fish. They say no, so he suggests trying the other side of the boat. And when they do, they you can't even pull the net in. There's so many fish. Um, John, at that point, recognizes, hey, that's Jesus on the shore. And so Peter dives into the water, swims to the beach where... Interestingly, Jesus has a charcoal fire going, the same fire by which he warmed himself that night of his three betrayals. I mean, y'all know how strong that smell is. You've got to think that the moment he hit the shore, that smell brought him right back to that night, stopped him in his tracks as he approached his risen Savior. But it's with this, it's with this threefold denial in mind that Jesus addresses Peter in verse 15 When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this to him, he said, follow me. 
Despite Peter's sin, Jesus restored him, brought him into relationship with him, continued to issue the invitation, follow me. And so Peter did. In Acts 2, he gives a bold sermon to the masses at Pentecost, leading to God saving 3,000 souls. He becomes a key leader in the church. He healed people. He preached the gospel. He wrote divinely inspired letters. And so far as we can tell by a church tradition, he was martyred for his faith. But lest we sugarcoat this and think that it was just one of those happily ever after, remember, he rebuked Jesus. He denied Jesus. He was corrected at the hands of Paul. This was... Not a smooth road by any means, but it was a road. And it did lead to Peter's becoming more and more like Jesus. Parenting is similar. It is a road, a journey, a process. It's not a video game where if if we just get these few key moments right, we win the game. That's what matters. No, it's the day in, day out grind of life that, by the grace of God, will make us more like our Lord than we were when we started it. Sure, there will be significant milestone moments in your life and as you parent along the way, but but far more important are those in-between moments. It's a bit like eating. I'm sure we could all share of a few meals that just stand head and shoulders above the others. You know, that fancy restaurant that you saved up for, the the last late-night meal before you graduated and everyone went their separate ways, or, or the first time that you cooked the family recipe yourself. But Can anyone tell me what they had for lunch on Friday, February 12th? We hardly remember the vast, vast majority of our meals, but those are the things that have sustained us throughout our lives. In a similar similar way, parenting is not a handful of major events. It's, It's a lifelong process, and it's never really over. But it's never really over because, well, our children will always need changing, No one ever reaches a point this side of heaven where we can say, all right, you're done. You're like Jesus in every way. You no need to keep changing. No. We are all born unfinished, and we leave our homes unfinished. That goes both for you and for your kids. And to that point, parenting is is never over because you never stop being a parent. Do, Do you remember the first call that you made home after you moved out? Dad, how do I fix a blown fuse? Mom, what does tumble dry only mean? Can someone tell me how to do my taxes? It's not over once they hit 18 and move out, or 22 and move out, or 34. And It changes, sure, but, but it's, it's very much the same. We'll look at one more passage from Peter, Acts 10. He's, he's chilling on the roof and God sends him a vision. There's this giant sheet coming down from heaven with all sorts of animals on it, and the voice of the Lord tells him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And just as he's done before, Peter decides to talk back to God. By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. But but God, in his loving kindness and great patience, he tells Peter, What God has made clean, do not call common. And then he does it three more times, just to make sure Peter really, really gets the point. Even after everything Peter had gone through, God was still working on him, still changing him. He's doing the same with us. We've established that we're all sinful. Each of us, not just the kids. We all need to change our ways if we are ever to have a relationship with him. But the problem is we can't do that on our own. We are far too sinful to bring ourselves back into right standing with God. And so the solution to our sin is Jesus. 
whose death in our place covers the penalty of sins, brings us into right standing with God. It's only because of him that we can have that relationship with God. But here's where it gets even better. God doesn't just forgive us our sins and then leave us on our own ways. All right, you're good to go. You're No, he continues with us. He gives us his spirit to dwell in us, to convict us of sin, to draw us ever closer to himself. And then when we mess up along the way, as we all do, God doesn't throw his hands up and say, really, again? No. He extends further forgiveness, new mercies every morning, love that goes beyond our wildest imagination. Is that something you desire? Does that sound appealing to you? Or is it something that you already have and are experiencing today? I want to make sure that we're clear. Each and every one of us is rightly and justly condemned to hell because of our sins. The only hope of salvation is the one that Jesus offers us of new life through him. So my question for you today is will you accept it? So whether you are a kid, whether you are a grandparent, I don't know if we have any great-grandparents here. We probably do. There you go. Will you accept Jesus' offer? Will you turn from your sins and call out to God for salvation? I would love, you would make my day to take as long as you want after the service. We could talk more, try to think more about it, read further from God's word on it, but don't leave here today without responding to the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, if you have already responded to that good news, well, then my question for you is, what does that look like in your life? Do you recognize your own shortcomings and inabilities? Are you dependent on God throughout your life, especially regarding parenting? Do you give grace to your parents for when they mess up because they're sinners just like you? Do you know that you cannot change your kids on your own and that producing godly children doesn't fall on your shoulders but on God's? Do you acknowledge that parenting is a lifelong process that we walk in by the grace of God? See, the foundation of all this is God's love. He loves you so much, and he loves your children so much. So let us all take a step back and allow him to use us as his tools to shape our children over the course of our lives and then be humbled at what he can do in them and in you. You see, I would be devastated if your takeaway was, okay, I can't change on my own. Okay, got it, but but God can. So I'm going to become the best tool that God, I'm going to get everything right. Because now <laughs> that's still all on your shoulders. You're still taking that effort. You're just shifting it a little bit and giving it a nice Christian ease spray paint on it. No, we parent out of God's love. We live, for goodness sakes, out of God's love. That is the source. That is where we get everything we have from. So consider what that love means for you, what that love looks like in your daily life. Is it a reality for you? I pray that it would be. I'm going to close from lyrics from my favorite hymn on this subject. Listen to these words on the love of God. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, 
though stretched from sky to sky. Let's pray. Father, your love is astounding. When I consider the depths of my own sin, I am humbled to my core that you would love someone such as me. And you are good. We thank you for who you are, for what you have done. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. God, we are thankful. God, we are also woefully unable to do the tasks that are before us. God, you have placed souls into our care as we parent, and God, we cannot hope to change them on our own, God. But you haven't called us to that. You've called us to walk alongside them, to guide them, to lead them, but to do so under your leadership. So God, humble us. Remind us of our need for you, of our dependence on you in this area for sure, but in every area of life. May we not seek to do anything apart from you. May we ground our whole being in who you are and in your love for us. God, may we use the gift that is this church. May we lean on one another as you weave together our lives together, as you weave our lives together, God. May we grow because of the fellowship we have together, and may we do so always, further and further into the image of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, make us like him, may we love like he loved, and may we glorify you as we do so. Father, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.